during the adult Bible study hour at 10 o'clock as the men have been taking turns uh, walking us through the book of Philemon. It's a small book, but uh, great truths there if you have the, uh, the story, the account of a, a slave owner and his slave, a runaway slave, and Paul uh, entering in and the uh, ministry of reconciling this situation. And uh, as I was listening to Brother Mike today um, talking about uh, Philemon, Paul was going on to kind of compliment Philemon, say the, uh, the things that he appreciated about uh, Philemon and bringing out the things that, uh, that aren't said necessarily because obviously he's getting ready to correct him. Uh, I think the word in verse 8 was enjoin him uh, in that way that uh, there was a need for Philemon, the, uh, the employer, to receive back the employee, even though Onesimus, the slave that had run away, had stolen from him and all these things. There, there needed to be that, that receiving of him. I thought, wow, this is a great uh, preamble, kind of a preface to what we're talking about today. And really, as I started studying for this message, I remember thinking, oh, there's so many themes about receiving uh, illustrations in the Bible. We're going to look at a few of those today to help us to appreciate better this concept of Christ. Now, as we talk about Christ receiving us, you might remember as Paul is preaching to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, one of the things he says, he's quoting Christ, that the Lord taught was that it's more blessed to do what? Give, Give than to receive. And you're like, oh, why are you bringing that out, Pastor? Because this is all about receiving. You already kind of cut your legs out by, you know, talking about something that's better than receiving. But if you think about it, giving and receiving go hand in hand, Right? Now, uh, I, I love to give. I enjoy receiving too, mind you, but you know, there's, there's just something that's great to, you know, to give someone something and to see the appreciation. Uh, and sometimes it's real easy to be a giver, right? Um, you know, you go out to a meal with someone, they're like, let me treat. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. And, and there is, there's kind of that awkwardness of not wanting them to pick up the tab for your meal, right, you know? But you would have no problem doing it reverse, right, uh, in many cases. It, it, it's, sometimes, it's sometimes harder to be a receiver, right? It really is. There, we have to kind of humble ourselves a little bit to, to be a receiver. Uh, there's, there's a work there. There's a, there's a challenge there. And yet there's a wonderful interaction between giving and receiving uh, in the Bible between God and the elect, uh, however you want to put it, his children. Um, and I refer to it as the elect because, you know, that, that gives the frame of God's perspective of not only who has prayed and received Christ as their Savior, but who's who he knows in his infinite wisdom are going to receive Christ as their savior. And so in his eternal mind, uh, there's that uh, almost mystical way that just kind of befuddles us. And, you know, how God could know that, and, and yet he does, and reaches out to us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's just amazing truths that all kind of fit together in a dovetail sort of way. And so... Christ, as we saw in this passage of Scripture, uh, does a receiving of us. The, the reverse of it, though, about us receiving Christ, that's not a small topic in the Scripture either, is it? And, and maybe that's more of what we think about when we talk about receiving and our relationship with God. We were witnessing to someone, right? And we tell them, hey, to be saved, you just need to... Receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, right? You receive Him. Biblical? Yes or no? It is biblical, right? John 1, 12. But as many as 
received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there is us receiving him. All right, we understand that. We're reminded that our salvation, however, is the work of Christ. He gives the power. We don't, we don't come up with the power. We don't have the ability to get saved. We don't have really the ability to receive him. Uh, we have to rely on God's taking the initiative. Even, even Jesus said that. He says, you know, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me does what? Draws. There's that supernatural divine drawing. So when we think, yes, I did something wonderful by receiving Jesus Christ. No, no not really. You didn't. Because you couldn't receive him unless God empowered you to receive him. You see, our receiving of Christ by faith is also not just a, a one-time thought. Yes, I did that. And hopefully you have done that. You can look back and say, at this point in time, I was lost and God got a hold of me and I did John 1.12. I, I received him and he gave me the power to become a son of God. And today I am a son of God because I've received him. I hope that's true of you today, but I don't want to make a, pre, a presumptuous thought that everybody sitting in this room necessarily has done that. It's, it's always very, the potential's always there. That people have come in and, and, or people are watching by live stream today uh, and, and may not have this really taken care of in their life like they might think they do. It's not just a matter of attending a church. It's not just a matter of having parents that were godly Christians. I've met all kinds of people, and I ask them, you know, you know, hey, do you know for sure when you die that you're going to go to heaven? Oh, yes, my daddy was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> great, great. And I, I hope that also means that he received Christ, because just because he was a Baptist preacher, that doesn't automatically give an admission into heaven either. But by the way, that has no bearing on you. You know, other than the fact that, praise God, maybe he taught you well and you heard the gospel, but, you know, what are we waiting to hear? We want to hear that they cognitively, intellectually, spiritually, they receive the Lord in their life. And that happens. But, you know, in, in a real way, we're not done receiving Christ just because we get saved? You're like, really? Well, look over at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 for just a minute. We're going to look at a couple different passages of Scripture. And I think it's important to see these. So we, we hopefully, we, we've received Jesus by faith at the point of our salvation. By the way, that's the only way to receive Christ, Right? By grace that we're saved through faith. Grace is God's divine enablement. The faith is a gift that gives us the channel to receive God's grace. It's the conduit is sometimes how I, I like to... But it's all, that's all of God too, right? You say, it's my faith. Well, where did you get the faith? God gave you even that so that his grace could come to you so that you could be saved. But Colossians 2.6 says this... As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus. So he's talking to what kind of people, folks? Christians. Yeah, you have done this. We call that the perfect tense. Something that happened in the past but has continuing results. Even as ye, ha as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. And he doesn't stop. He goes on to say this. So walk ye in him. Walk isn't just talking about us getting our steps in, right? For those of us that have exercise bands and stuff like that, it's talking about how we live our life, how we conduct ourselves, our very lifestyle, our day-to-day -day interactions. So therefore, receiving Christ isn't just at the moment of salvation. Our receiving of Christ must always be through that channel of faith, driven by God's grace, 
But whether in our initial salvation or our ongoing sanctification, because that's what he's talking about here in Colossians 2.6, God changing me, still working on me. We still have to be embracing Christ, and we still need to be doing so by faith. So, salvation, how did I get saved? I received Christ. How did I receive him? By faith. It was the work of God's grace. Now I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I want to live for Jesus, right? I, I, I want to work not to be saved, but I want to work because I am saved. I want to be, labor, be laboring for the master. How do I do that? Same way I got saved. Every day I get up, I need to have a sense of I'm receiving Christ. Now, not the sense that he's departed from me, but I am embracing him. And we're going to talk about what we literally mean by receiving Christ. It's more than just like opening the door and letting him in. And that's going to be a very important thing for us to realize because when it comes to how I am going to be, as Colossians 2.6 says, walking in him, there is an ongoing mindset day by day, moment by moment, folks, where I have to be receiving Christ. That's what the text is saying, right? You can see it for yourselves. There is also a wrong way of receiving Christ. Really? Well, not biblically wrong, but some people think about receiving Christ and they try to receive Christ, but they handle it unbiblically. We don't have too far to go, but Jesus' own disciples, and specifically the one guy who, who seems to be the most outspoken and uh, thinks he's getting it right, maybe, but then the Lord has to admonish him a little bit. What disciple do you think I'm talking about? Peter, right? I always feel bad for Peter, you know? It's like, oh, I know the answer, you know? Uh, try again, Peter, right? In Matthew chapter 16, if you look over there for just a moment, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what is ahead. And what is, it, what is ahead, you might ask? Well, the cross is what's ahead at this point. And he knew it was going to shake him up a little bit. And it says, if we, if we go back to verse, uh, and, and Peter, by the way, we need to kind of go back and look at verse 16, because that's that, that great statement when Peter get, gets it right, right? I mean, he says, you know, who am I? Who do people say I am? And, P, and they, they, they give these popular answers, and then finally Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts out, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, Right answer. But by the way, you know, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. You know, my father helped you out with that answer too. And he talks about how that statement is going to be a rock uh, on which the Lord will build his church. So that has, that has just happened. And then we look at verse 21. And then it says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples. So he's, he's, he's turned to chapter 2. He's turned to a fresh chapter, and the topic is going to change. What is the topic in this new chapter? How that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be what? Killed. Peter didn't sign up for that, by the way. And be raised again the third day. And since Peter didn't sign up for that, it's not surprising that verse 22 tells us, then Peter did what? Took him. Now, the word took there, actually, the, the Greek word behind took, is the exact same word that we have in Romans 15, 7 for receiving Christ. So Peter, is take, he's receiving Christ. You think, great, he's receiving Christ. But notice how he receives Christ in that verse. He took him and he began to do what? You think it's right to rebuke the Lord? I don't think so. And he says, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. 
Now, some people say, well, his heart was in the right place. And, you know, he, had, he loved the Lord. He hated to think of this happening. And, you know, and I can commiserate with Peter on that point. You know, if I'd walked with the Lord Jesus Christ and be knit with him, I wouldn't want to think of anybody killing him, you know, hurting him. Anybody I love, I don't want to see them injured or hurt, you know. But Peter's doing more than this. He's being defiant, like, I don't care what you say, Lord. I'm, I'm stepping in or intervening in this plan. And he crossed a line very clearly. But it's easy to put Peter out there and say, yeah, Peter, he's the poster child of how not to do Christianity, right? At least at this point in his life. But sometimes we might identify better with Peter than we want to admit. Sometimes as Christians, we might find ourselves saying, I'll receive the Lord. I'll receive him as I so walk in him today, Colossians, right? But sometimes we want to characterize how we receive the Lord. My terms. Isn't that what Peter's doing here? And though we might not see ourselves doing it, by the way we pray or by how we respond, we might in our spirit really be rebuking the Lord rather than just simply saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Because truthfully, it's our thinking that needs to be changed. It's our ways that need to be renovated, not his. And God will always be throwing things our way, both as we learn the precepts of Scripture, but then how it plays out in the circumstances of our life that will catch us off guard and thinking, well, that can't be right. And then as we humble ourselves, we realize, huh, I guess that can be right. I, ne I need to receive God's truth and I need to receive God's providence into my life because I can't really be receiving Christ. I can't separate Christ the person from Christ the works. They're the same. Say, well, I, I want Jesus, but I want him my way. No, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. Very presumptuous in his rebuking. We can't pick and choose how we're going to receive Christ. We've got to receive him in the manner that he has given we must keep our theology straight when it comes to our receiving of him. Okay? Got to lay that groundwork. It's not about how I con conceptualize Christ that I want to receive. It's let me learn of Christ. So I am receiving the Christ that the Bible is revealing to me. But now our text this morning is turning it around. It's not us receiving him, but what? Him receiving us. But really the two are inseparable. Me receiving him and him receiving us. We can't receive him apart from him receiving us, right? I mean, the only way that I could get saved as a 12-year-old boy and receive Christ as my personal Savior for John 1.12 to work in my life there had to be God taking the initiative and saying, I will receive Carl Wood. Same with you. I mentioned there's several great instances, parallels in our Bible to help us to get the analogy straight. You know, a great one is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Story probably most of us know quite well. And we always title it, the prodigal what? The son. Which implies that the story is all about the son. Now, don't get me wrong. He is a main character, right? But you know, as I have read that story over and over again, to me, it's not mostly about the son. It's mostly about the father. And I challenge you to go back and read that story with that in mind. You'll read it a little differently. You'll read it more humbly. You'll read it more appreciatively. And so here 
in this story, just to kind of recount it, what do we see the father doing? We see him at, at the tail end of the story. The Bible tells us he saw his son. Literally, that meant he had been looking for his son. You know, it, he wasn't just out in the field somewhere or going about his own. He obviously was very intentional about looking down that road. He saw him. The Bible tells us he ran to his son. He didn't wait for his son to come to him. He went to him with great haste. The Bible tells us that he kissed his son with great affection, right? The son was receiving the father as he humbled himself and journeyed home, right? We have to think about it. At what point is the, is the son receiving the father? And if we, we see it only at that moment where they meet on that dirt path, then we're, we're missing what's happening in the hearts of people. Because it all turned when the son was still in the far country. And he began thinking about dad. And he began realizing all that was back there. Never imagining that he would be given sonship. You know, he's thinking about servant status. He would be happy to go back as an Onesimus and look at his dad as a Philemon. That's what he's thinking, folks. How many of my servants have food and despair? You know, just, just to be like that. Never crossing his mind that it would go back to the way it had once been. And so he had to humble himself and journey home. In his heart, there was already the receiving of the father going on. But what a scene it is. And I've seen some artist depictions that some do better jobs than others, but, you know, probably can't capture when these two men, this elder father and this young man, embrace. And I love what Luke 15, 20, how our Lord put it. It says, the father fell on the neck of his son. We don't talk that way. But that is just, that's not, you know, what we call today in culture a bro hug. You know, where you go up and you're like, hey, how you doing, man? And you kind of do like that. This is a dad whose heart's been broken and loves his son so desperately and never stopped loving him. Never stopped thinking about him. Even though his son probably spent many days not thinking about his dad. And when he came back, he didn't say, well, we're going to have to have some chats first before we kind of figure out where, what kind of ground we're on as father and son. That's not what happens in this account, is it? He runs. He doesn't wait for a word from his son. This dad just wraps his arms, puts his neck over the shoulder of his son, and just squeezes every bit of space and air between them away. He fell on the neck of his son. What a picture of receiving. And I don't want to be guilty of reading something into it, but what this implies to me is that dad was probably hugging tighter than son was, maybe. He fell on his neck. Dad fell on son's neck. And that's how our Heavenly Father receives us. Twelve-year-old boy, I was excited to know that I wasn't going to die and go to the lake of fire. But truthfully, I didn't love my Heavenly Father at that moment the way he loved me at that moment. And to be honest with you, as a 54-year-old man, decades having walked with the Lord, read his word, I'm ashamed to say, I still can't possibly love my father as much as he loves me. 
He receives us. What is, the rece- what is the reason that Christ receives us? We go back. There's no doubt that we are in spiritual peril and we need rescuing. There's a, there's a pity. And it's like, of course, you know, if God didn't receive me, what would be my condition? It'd be pretty sad. And, you know, we're in a worse condition than the prodigal son of Luke 15. I hope we all understand that. And he had sunk to eating the pig slop because of his sinful life. But what are we? We're sinful debtors. We cannot save ourselves, but praise God, he redeems us to himself. Yes, we are definitely the beneficiaries of being received. No doubt about it. However, if we look back at Romans 15 and verse 7, and the last part of that verse, we will note that our being received by Christ is for the glory of who? Not us, right? The glory of who? The glory of God. It is the glory of God he received us to. What a truth that is. Now, how does that work? Doesn't God just radiate in his attributes of love? God is love, right? What else is God? God is mercy. God is a God of grace. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. And each time, think about this, each time the Father takes a soul to himself in salvation, doesn't that just make the attributes of God amplify? All of them. Say, well, I get the love, I get the mercy, I get the grace, but what about his righteousness? Yes, his righteousness just beams because why God is a righteous judge and he did not have to in any way set aside his righteousness to take a lost soul to himself because of the sacrifice of his son his justice he did not have to somehow do something underhanded give a special favor look the other way All of God's attributes came in perfect harmony every single time a lost soul comes to him. Ask yourself, who shines the most in the story of Luke 15? Certainly not the envious elder brother, right? It's not even the returning son, even though we're overjoyed for him. It's the father who had already graciously given so much before his boy departed and gave even more after he restored him. I mean, the boy had already lived there, departed. Now he's coming back. Kill the fatted calf. There's another analogy in our New Testament of Jesus. He's described as the good shepherd, right? And the good shepherd is highlighted for hazarding his life For the sheep, and sheep is one of those words that can be singular or plural, right? And yet we're told that imagine a sheep fold of a hundred, and one is missing. Well, you got 99. Hey, that 1% lost leader is not too bad, no. What does the good shepherd do? He goes after just even that one out of a hundred. This is one of the right responses to this concept of Christ. You think, as I'm thinking about Christ receiving me, what should my response be? Well, perhaps as you meditate on Christ receiving you, your heart should rise within you in praise, right? Glory to God. Devotion, oh Lord, you're so amazing. Appreciation, thank you, Lord. As sinners, we are undeserving, or I should say rather, as sinners, we are deserving of his wrath. But in Christ, we have his forgiveness and his reconciliation. He's, he's just like that, that son came back home. 
and who was reconciled to the family. So we are reconciled. Perhaps the thought should occupy our thoughts as we pray something like this. Dear Father, thank you for not only forgiving me of my sin, but for receiving me as your son. I am overwhelmed that I have been made a joint heir with Christ, according to Romans 8.17. You alone are worthy of all my praise, both now and for eternity. I mean, really, it should affect our prayer life, shouldn't it, folks, as we think about this? You might also find that filling your heart and mind with this truth will aid in resisting temptation. Really? How would that work, possibly? Remember the Old Testament story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? He's way far away from his family. He's in the country of Egypt. No human accountability, doesn't seem like. He is presented with an opportunity of sexual temptation. Potiphar's wife, very enticing somehow, probably. And yet, what did he do? Well, one thing he did was he remembered how graciously he had been received by his employer, Potiphar, to such a high status of the household. Joseph had been made manager over Potiphar's household. It's like, you're, you know, your husband hasn't withheld anything from me in that way, except for you, ma'am. And so he was, he was very grateful as he thought about how he had been received by his employer. But that really isn't enough, folks. And let me just say, when we are dealing with temptations in our life, we always need to hold on to the most supreme thought. Okay? So, men, husbands, you have dear wives, wonderful. You think, well, when I, when I face temptation, you know... I just think of my sweet wife, and, and that might be a good thought to hold on to, but what happens the day that she really makes you angry, and then you're tempted? Is that going to work for you to think about your wife to resist that temptation? Probably not. But you know what doesn't change? And Joseph knew this, because he didn't just latch on to, ah, I don't want to do this sin against Potiphar, because what he really said in the heat of that moment was how can I do this great sin against my God? Actually, Genesis 39, 9 says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Nobody around. Dad's not there. Brothers aren't there. But he was gripped by how God had received him. Isn't that what's going on there? God has so graciously received me to himself in his mercy. And so as much as I might like to indulge in this moment of temptation, I will say no. And what is that controlling motivation? My God, who has received me. Great pattern for us to follow, folks. And so whatever that temptation might be, Cling to that thought primarily. Say to yourself, God has always been good. He's never let me down. Now, I may have misidentified some things, but in truth, I know that he has been a faithful God all along the way, gracious to me. If he did nothing else for me than what he's already done, he's already done more than I deserve. Is this not where the doctrine of adoption connects? Well, Look at this one in a few weeks, but just to kind of tie it together here. The doctrine of adoption is something that's also taught in scriptures. We are not naturally born as part of the family of God. As created humans, we are not God's children. Okay? So I, I don't expect that you remember everything that Pastor Wood says from the pulpit, but, you know, but sometimes, you know, there's certain things that I say, I hope they get this doctrine. And, and never find themselves ever saying this phrase again. And one phrase I don't want to ever hear people say is, well, as human beings, aren't we all part of God? Aren't we all God's children? No, not even close. 
Don't ever say we're all God's children. As, as far as looking at humanity in general. That, that is so unbiblical. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are born sinners. You have only to read, and we won't turn there, but you can jot down 1 John 3, 8 through 10. And it tells us in very plain language, we are children of the devil. That's our entry point into this world. One of the blessed things that God does for us in saving us is receiving us into his family. Think about that. Receiving us into his family. Galatians 4, 5 says that he came to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. You know, it's great when a family has a biological birth of a child into the home, you know, and everybody rejoices. You know, sometimes, for one reason or another, there is a, an outside adoption taking place. And, I, and if I'm ever around someone that has been adopted into the family, I always try to pull that, that young person aside. I said, you know, I hope you would never, ever doubt the, the love that your parents have for you. Think about this. I mean, most families, it's just a baby's born, and, but they chose you, right? Now, adoption in biblical times even applied to biological children. The Bible tells us that biological sons were treated more like servants. They had a servant status until a point in which they became legally adopted as sons into the family. See, adoption shows intentionality. And when you have intentionality, that's when love glistens. In receiving you, God chose you to be in his family. He did not receive you on your merit, for we are all sinners. So what a wonderful truth of what we sang at the beginning of our service today, Christ receiveth sinful men. The other part of our text commands us to take our understanding of Christ and how we receive others. Right? Take your understanding of how Christ receives you, and then now you turn around and use that in parallel towards other people. In fact, really, that is the primary thrust of this verse. How do we know that? That's why we began reading at verse 1 and reading down through it. And if you look back at verse 2, it says, Hey, let not everyone please his uh, uh, one of us, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. And, and then he goes on to talk about how we are to serve others. In verse 6, that we may have one mind and one mouth to glorify God. And then he says, you need to be having a receiving spirit of fellow believers. How am I supposed to receive fellow believers? The same way that Christ receives you. That can be challenging sometimes, can it? It really can. If we are truthful, we often struggle to receive others. Now, that doesn't just mean that someone walked into our building today and we put out our hand and say, glad to see you today. That is a form of receiving, isn't it? Right? But receiving, as I hope you're picking up in, really begins where? Right here in the heart. There can be a lot of superficial, external receiving, but what's most importantly is where God sees, and that's the heart. We had to spend significant time already examining how Christ receives us because it's the blueprint. It's our motivation for turning around and doing likewise for others. This is what the takeaway is as you walk out of Anchor Baptist Church, as you finish watching the live stream. It's realizing, okay, how am I supposed to receive fellow believers? I need to always keep going back and freshening what the Bible says about how Christ received me. If we're truthful, we often struggle to receive others. And why? Because our struggle is rooted in pride. We probably think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. 
plain and simple. We give too much credibility to just our own ideas. We all have ideas. Nothing wrong with that. But how defensive are we about our ideas? Whatever the idea might be. And I'm using it in the most general sense. Because often when there's clash and conflict between people, even in the body of Christ, hello? (laughs) It's because ideas didn't somehow go together. And it's really not the ideas that are different that's the problem, because Proverbs tells us only by pride comes contention. It's how we tenaciously hold on to our ideas. Sometimes we think, well, if there had been another book of the Bible written, book 67, my ideas would have been in it. We don't say that. So when someone clashes with our ideas, the reflex is, honestly, to kind of push them away. Maybe not walk away, we keep the smile on our face, but there's this is a little, right? Just inside of us that happens. At least in our hearts. At least in our minds. Maybe we're thinking, okay, how do I bring them around to my way of thinking, you know? How do I get them to realize how smart I am, Right? You know, relationships are built on receiving one another. Say, can you receive someone and still be at odds and not completely in harmony with ideas? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, how is it then? No two people, even Christians, think exactly alike. Hopefully we've lived long enough to know that. But can we still have unconditional love towards one another, even though we might think a little differently on some things? Now, let me be quick to define. I'm not talking about how we think about the, the settled doctrine of Scripture. There's, there's no room to budge there. Uh, we need to be very understanding of that. But we do need to, on these peripheral things, we need to receive and embrace them as Christ would. Can you see yourself when someone is giving you a conflicting idea, could you still see yourself in your heart falling on the neck of that brother or sister in Christ and embracing their soul, their personage? I'm not saying literally, come here, you know, and give them a big bear hug, but more in your heart. Can you still do that, or do you just feel like, this is uncomfortable. You know, how do I get out of this situation? The father gave us that example in Luke 15. He fell on his neck. He kissed even before his son had his prepared speech out of his mouth. Remember, all, all the while home, the son's practicing what he's going to say to dad. And you read the text and you realize dad wasn't sitting there like, okay, what do you have to say for yourself? Okay, give me a hug. No, it was hug first. In fact, you know, there's no evidence that the father gave any credibility to the son's speech because the son's speech was like, I'll be a servant. He doesn't even answer him. He just says, give me the robe, give me the ring, kill the fatted calf, right? He demonstrated unconditional love for his boy. You know, you can be around someone without receiving them. You can. I think we all understand this in talking about receiving in the way we're talking about it. Receiving has to begin in the heart, and then it manifests itself in actions. Believers can attend the same local church and not have a receiving heart towards a particular individual in that church. You might even have polite conversation, but your heart is far from them. If you pray for them, it's probably not filled with compassion and care, It's more, Lord, help wake them up. Fix them. (laughs) You know, you can be in a marriage relationship without receiving your spouse. Say, how is that possible? Yes, you receive them at the altar. But there's been many a time I've sat with a couple and heard that what really has happened is though they received one another, took vows together, but gradually they stopped on a day-by-day basis receiving one another. 
They found out that they had conflicting ideas. Surprise, right? And even though pastors like myself try to do premarital counseling and tell, hey, take all your expectations about your spouse, write them in a notebook, every last one of them, and then you know what you're going to do with that notebook? Go burn it somewhere, you know? Because that's not what love in a marriage is all about. If you hold on to those tenaciously, you'll find that not only are you going to destroy your relationship with your spouse, it's also unacceptable to the Lord based on our text, isn't it? It says, as, as, you have, as Christ has received you, so receive others. Ask yourself this next time you're in a conflict like that. Just be real hard on yourself. What if Jesus received me into daily fellowship and interaction like I'm receiving this family member or this member of the body of Christ? Well, you don't know what they've done and what it's been like over the years. No, but I don't need to know either. There probably has been numerous infractions. I'd be surprised if there aren't, right? Because each of us are living, if we're married, with a redeemed sinner, but a sinner nonetheless, with a flesh. And by the way, you go to church with redeemed sinners, with flesh. There's going to be infractions. But have you been guilty of infractions against Christ? Ask yourself that question. Have I, even as a believer, have I, have I gone against the will of my Savior? And if we're honest, we'll say what? Yeah. Absolutely, probably every day. And yet, has Jesus altered the way in which he receives me? How he receives you? He has not. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus says, see that? See what I do? Now you do it. Remember this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Wow, what, a, what an account that is. And they're all uncomfortable. <laughs> By the way, who was present there at that moment? Judas was there. He hadn't left yet. So he is the one who betrays, but there's also someone else who's again that, that outspoken guy, right? And he's a denier. Not yet, but he might as well have already done it because Jesus knows it before it happens, right? So Jesus is down washing the grime off of that denier's feet, Peter. He's washing his feet, his smelly feet. He then moves over and he washes his Judas's feet. Can you imagine that? And he knows. He knows. Now think about that. And then Jesus says to disciples, as I have done to you, so do ye to one another. Isn't that what he's talking about? Say, that is really tough, preacher. Yeah, well, it's important possible apart from the grace of God and the Spirit of God. But doesn't it put things in perspective and drives us to examine and address our flawed ways of receiving others? Came across a story about a man named Robert Stevenson. He's, he was a famous Scottish engineer, but he's probably most well known as the grandfather of the author Robert Louis Stevenson. He was born, the dad that is, in 1772. And 100 years after his birth, a great demonstration was held in Newcastle, Scotland. There was a huge procession with banners honoring the distinguished engineer. In the procession was a group of peasants who carried a small banner on which were written the words, He was one of us. He was one of us. 
They were citizens of the tiny village of his birth, and they had come to do him honor. They were bound together in their reception of this man. And they believed that he somehow was posthumously receiving them because of his legacy. That, in maybe a small way, pictures how we ought to be when it comes to our identity in Christ, right? You know, we belong to him, and he belongs to us. But that drew those people together because of that. You know, nothing binds a church together more than Jesus Christ himself. If we stop thinking about how undeserving we are apart from Christ, and folks, there will be all sorts of problems in this church and in any church. By the way, you know what is the best glue in a marriage relationship? Jesus Christ. A threefold cord is not easily broken, we're told, in the Old Testament. I often use that in a marriage ceremony. You know, the bride, the groom, those are two strands, and you weave God right in there. Not saying that that is what that passage of text is, is saying that represents those things, but it does uh, teach us that we, we need to be braided in strengthened in that way and so dear friend as we bring our service to a close Christ is ready to receive you maybe you've not yet received him as I started off John 1 12 you've not received him friend today is the day to receive Christ he's ready to receive you what are you waiting for don't sit back in your pride don't sit back in your preconceived ideas of how you were brought up believe the Bible Believe that you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You must turn away from your own good deeds and your own merits and your own work and your own sacraments. And you must say, no, it's in what Jesus accomplished on the cross plus nothing. Receive him, for he's ready to receive you. But then, dear Christian, you have to ask yourself, are you receiving him day by day, moment by moment? In like manner, receiving others as well? I trust God will apply these truths to our heart today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Christ. Thank you for these insights of scripture, these parallels and analogies. Lord, I pray that we'd walk out of here not just better educated. Lord, if we only have better head knowledge, then we're missing the point. Lord, may it change us, transform us. May we be challenged about our interactions with other people. May we really go home and ask ourselves, am I receiving others around me as Jesus is receiving me? Lord, work in our hearts as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.